And now I'm also being censored. This podcast has become a dictatorship, you guys. I need to be rescued. It has been a dictatorship from day one, Rox. I just let you believe it wasn't. Welcome back to My Listen Guys, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, the characters, and everything else we can come up with. I am Momotastic. And I'm a Snowfox. And today we are going to talk about more characters from this show. Today we are going to talk about the minor characters of the first season, which will not be any of the villains because they get their own episodes. But yeah, we are going to talk about some of the minor characters of season one and we will get into more of that later. First, we will hear some news. The Bottom Arthur Fest will return. Due to the Tumblr ban on suggestive or explicit content, the fest will run on multiple platforms to ensure that all kinds of entries can be submitted. You can find the fest on Pillowfort as Bottom Arthur, and there is also going to be an opportunity to submit works through AO3. For exact dates on when the fest returns, follow them on Tumblr or Pillowfort. Merlin Memory Month has announced its return for May 2019. The whole month will be packed with prompts for you to create fake art and all kinds of other things. And finally, another reminder that Merlin Spring Cleaning launches on the 1st of April. It's a low-stakes, no-sign-up challenge which is designed to encourage artists to finish their works in progress and share them with the other fans. And that has been it. For news and now we shall have some talkbacks and before we get into the talkbacks proper we <laughs> have another announcement about the talkbacks i know we just had one a couple of uh, episodes ago where we said we'd only react to comments left on our website because there are just so many comments and while we love all of them it has become impossible for us to react to all of them and we will have to put another caveat on that because you guys are amazing. You just decided to all comment on the website from now on. <laughs> and that's great. That's awesome initiative, but it still makes it impossible for us to react to all of your comments in a timely manner. So what we'll do from here on out is we will only react to comments about the episode that they were left on. So if in your comment you react to something that we discussed in a talkback, we will most likely not react to it again, because otherwise we'll never stop talking about the damn rat stew or remedy to cure all ills. And frankly, I'm ready to let these subjects drop. <laughs> Another thing we're going to do is we will have a special talkback episode in June, in which we will be catching up on a lot of talkbacks. It will be basically... Something like the Q&A episode we did at the beginning of the year, except it will be entirely filled with talkbacks. So it's alright if you will want to skip this, but I'm sure we'll have many of interesting conversations and discussions in that. It's just we really need to figure out a way to catch up, because otherwise comments that you leave today won't be reacted to until like December this year, which frankly is just ridiculous and also feels like kind of rude to you to not you know get back to you 
uh, sooner, at least within a couple of weeks, rather than almost a year. And one last thing we will do, which we realize might get us some backlash, but we will reserve the right not to discuss your comment if neither one of us feels like there's anything to discuss. And we really hope you won't hold a grudge against us for doing it this way from here on out. But as we've said, it's just, uh, we're doing this podcast for fun and it takes a lot of time to produce and we are doing it for fun. And although we said we'd react to all of your comments, we've already put the first caveat on this and we have to put on the second one now because it's just reached a point where we cannot keep up with any with, with all of the comments anymore. I think it's less that we can't keep up and it's just more so that like we don't like we don't want our runtime to get so long that people will just stop listening. And as you guys have probably been able to tell we like to talk about things so once I get going that's it so it's best to just limit the amount of time I'm allowed to react things we already have like two or three talkbacks per episode and we just we already cut out a lot of what we actually say about them because our runtime otherwise is just too long there you go yeah just just uh that as an um as a note for you I will also say that if you definitely, absolutely want us to react to something that you say in a comment, you are free to to put that wish in your comment. Be like, please react to this on the podcast because I really want to know what you what you think about this. Then we will do it. But unless there is this this qualifier on it, there is a chance that we might not discuss everything that you put in your comment or your comment at all if it's just you know a short one that's not something that we need to or want to discuss because we don't feel like there's anything for us to add or that we've discussed before that might be another thing you know exactly because there are a lot of things that we've discussed many times already and had clarification on in later episodes that you might not have listened to yet so Alright, having said all of that, let's get to some talkbacks. And the first one we have is by Elowen, who said about our Arwen episode the following thing. I think that the writers wanted Gwen to be blameless in the cheating while creating the conflict that would make her banished. It is not a nice thing to do to the characters, but when you take into account that it's still marketed as kids' show, they might have wanted the audience to know that Gwen and Arthur were faithful to each other at all times, even when the characters themselves didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if kids think about it that in-depth, to be honest. I mean, I don't have any kids, so I can ask them, and I don't know any younger kids that have seen this show. And my childhood, my own childhood, was too long ago, so I, I don't remember what I thought, but I'm not sure kids, um, that kids would have thought about it that much, you know, if they, if, if that would have been a nuance that they would have noticed. The problem with the kids argument is that you have to remember this is very subjective as to what you consider appropriate for kids, because kids who have watched this show from season one to season five 
will have seen murder, um, genocide, yeah. uh, all sorts of things, uh, torture, um, <clears throat> lots of different things. Um, and I think when you draw the line at cheating, you have to think to yourself, well, is that just because I don't want my kids to be witness to sex, which that's an entire conversation that, you know, we can have separate. But I think that is partly what is the problem here. But second of all, I do think that the show tries to see Gwen as the most innocent character. She's the one that's always been the moral compass and voice of reason from the beginning. And even in season five, when she became the villain, she did so again against her own will. So it wasn't her fault. And I think there probably was some kind of emphasis put on the fact that they really wanted her to remain squeaky clean throughout the entire show, which is fine. You know, the only problem I have with that is that the Merlin writers or the producers or whoever makes these decisions really piss me off when they try to tell me like, they are either not following the legend or they are following the legend. And I get that they're allowed to pick and choose what they want. But towards the end of the show, they were really kind of going down the tra the trajectory of, oh, well, we're doing this because it kind of happened in the legend. That was their entire argument for killing Arthur in the first place. And I know that Arthur dying is a big like that is the end of the legend. It's the big end. I would argue that the betrayal of Lancelot and Guinevere is of equal value in that story. It's actually probably what a lot of little kids that read the picture books about Lady Guinevere running off with her true love, Lancelot. Like, they probably know about that already. I knew about that when I was little. It was one of those storybook romance things that you heard about. You don't need to, you know, show the kind of stuff that they were showing on Stars Camelot in order to <laughs> get that across. So from my point of view... I just find it very frustrating that you wanted to tick all the other boxes, but this was your line. This was the line that you couldn't cross. And you made this entire plot point that is so vital to the downfall of Camelot. This was the downfall of Camelot, was this betrayal. And you made it some B plot with a guest actor as a stupid throwaway plot. And yes, like Eloine says, in her comment, the bracelet situation, which was set up to be this big reveal later on. And it was set up because you had the close up of the bracelet being thrown into the corner of the cell and is never brought up again. It is the most confusing part of season four to me and the Arthur Gwen Lancelot relationship. I will never understand why they did it this way i really really don't i have no answers and i really have tried <laughs> i'm just like yeah yeah that's something ellerwin said that uh a uh, quote but i would definitely love it if somehow the bracelet would have been discovered even if it happened a bit later to give arthur some time to angst over the betrayal because they could have just made merlin stumble over it during one of his numerous trips around dungeons and Honestly, it only would have meant something if Merlin had managed to figure out what it means. Like, I doubt he would have been able to discern what the bracelet meant or what it did. Not even Gwen herself understood the significance of the bracelet, or else she would have tried to use it as evidence for her innocence. Like, the only reason she throws it away is because it was a gift from Lancelot. 
You know, she doesn't throw it away because she realized this is what enchanted me to kiss Lancelot. She throws it away because it's, in her eyes, a token of affection from Lancelot that she shouldn't have accepted because it started her down this path of reliving old feelings, you know. And I know I said myself that Merlin should have found the bracelet, but it would have had to be in a way that tells him that the bracelet caused Gwen's cheating and he also would have needed a way to prove it to Arthur because while Arthur is willing to take Merlin's word for it, I feel like he would have needed proof to really overthrow his previous decision to banish Gwen. Like, at le- at the very least, to justify it in the eyes of the court, if not his own eyes. Yeah, but you know what Merlin is like. If you know, it, it's a very short step from I found this suspicious thing to Morgana's somehow involved. <laughs> There's very, you know, it's a very big, you know. I think that it, they could have done it very easily, and Morgana by this point is already a recluse. I'm not saying they couldn't have done it. I'm just saying that they would have needed to do it, and they would have. I mean, I'm saying they would have needed to do it believably, but. God knows <laughs> the show doesn't necessarily adhere to the same standards. But I mean, if Merlin, I'm sure that Merlin could have picked it up and sensed the magic in it. But how does he prove that it has magic and that it was the reason that Gwen acted like this when Gwen herself doesn't even realize that she has been enchanted? It's not like Gwen is coming out of a trance and has no memory of the last week. You know, she just, she believed that she was actually guilty. You know, there is no, the way it was set up in the show, there was no redemption possible for this. Because Gwen is so thoroughly brainwashed. It's not like with, um, in season five, when she is brainwashed by Morgana and then she comes out of it because the spell is broken and Arthur knew that Gwen was enchanted and he has to actively break the spell and then Gwen is like wait what happened what did I do you know it's not that's not the same case here because Gwen doesn't realize that she has been bewitched and and that's the whole difference Gwen doesn't realize she has been bewitched there is no evidence that she has been bewitched Merlin, even if he had picked up the bracelet and sensed, ooh, there's magic in there because his his magic senses were tingling, how does he prove that? There is no proof. And that's where the show fell short. That's the whole, like you said, Rogues, the whole setup of the bracelet, you know, being so prominent and then Gwen throwing it away and, and us expecting Merlin to find it and then do something with it. They never came through with that. Because they didn't know how after writing the entire episode the way they did. That's why they just let it drop. I mean, the subsequent episodes would have already been written by this point, so I don't think it was necessarily like a last-minute thing, but they really dropped the ball with making the bracelet such a big deal, like it was almost like a MacGuffin kind of situation. And it just drives me nuts, because at the end of the day... And look, I get it, because what they were trying to do was Arthur and Gwen love each other so much that they can overcome this even when they think it was real, which is fair enough, but it isn't that satisfying from a narrative point of view. 
That's the problem. And, you know, the audience knows that Gwen is innocent, so that's fine. But you do have a bit of an issue when the other characters think that she's guilty, in my opinion. And it's never brought up again. It's never brought up again. Honestly, I can see how to uh, people who like the Iron Ship, it's great that their love is so big that they overcome this obstacle. But honestly, for me, that would rankle so much. I would want the satisfaction. I mean, I want the satisfaction. I, I I don't even ship it that much. But I would have wanted the satisfaction of Gwen being redeemed, of of it being made clear of being of it being thrown into Arthur's face and to to show Gwen as well that Gwen did not act voluntarily that the Gwen that did that was influenced heavily by magic you know and and that she did this against against her better judgment against against her will against her consent you know i i would want that satisfaction because it is, like you said, Rox, we as the audience, we know that Gwen is innocent. We know that Gwen didn't want that. Gwen, Gwen rejected Lancelot at, at the beginning of this episode. She was like, I'm with, I'm with Arthur now. And I, you know, we had these feelings once, but now they're gone, basically. And it's just, yeah, I, I would have wanted that to come out and to be made clear and the, the characters in the show to learn that Gwen did not actually betray Arthur, that she was manipulated into doing it. So, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I don't care that their love apparently is so big that they can overcome this. That's great. Honestly, if it had actually been that way, if Gwen had actually voluntarily betrayed Arthur, then yes, that would be awesome. But she didn't. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> I mean, I wish that she had. That was my biggest issue because that's the point. <laughs> that's the what? Okay, let me ask you this: What is the point of introducing Lancelot as a character in the first place if you're not going to have her cheat? Why even write him into the show? Honestly, you can write Lancelot into the show and, uh, you know, have him as, as Arthur's best friend or whatever, but then don't introduce the Lancelot Guinevere romance at all. But I'm saying, it's just like... Obviously, it doesn't really make sense because where there's Lancelot, you kind of need to have this when they're, when they're you know, because otherwise, really, what's the point? But you could have done it. They, it could have been, it could have been possible to make Lancelot and Guinevere not a thing. But then they shouldn't have been a thing from the start. Like if you didn't want to make it the proper plotline where Gwen chooses to betray Arthur to cheat on him in whatever capacity, if you don't want to do that properly. <laughs> then just don't do it at all. Have Lancelot as Arthur's best friend. I don't care, but don't don't try to set it up from the very first episode. Exactly. And they will say it's well we're doing it our way. 
no, you're not actually doing it at all. <laughs> like, you're literally not. That's like saying, so imagine that Arthur died and then he came back from the dead, but he technically died, but he still lives in the end. And they can say, well, we're doing it our way. That is the, that is the Lancelot and Gwen equivalent of that. And it's bullshit. I'm so mad about this. I mean, honestly, you guys know that, yes, it's not just about this particular ship. I just love the story in general. I love the story of the, you know, young girl that became a queen with the arranged marriage and who had this confidant and, you know, his best friend. And they grew closer and closer over the years. And then one day they just couldn't hold it in anymore and you know they gave into their love it's such a it's it's a story i've loved so, so long and for them to just do it like this when i already did ship them so much anyway in this show you can imagine that the disappointment is just so big and when lancelot came back for season four i was sure that this was my time that this was my time for them to grow closer again him living in camelot living in the castle and i mean let me tell you i didn't see this coming <laughs> I did not see this coming at all. And I mean, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about once we get to Lancelot Dulac. So we'll probably just cut it there. But yeah, it sucks. Thank you, Eloen, for bringing it up, though. It's a very important conversation. All right. Our next talkback comes from, again, not sure if this is the way you want your username pronounced. And if it's not, please let us know. But this comment is by Irene. And they left a comment on our character analysis episode of Morgana. And they said, It always bugged me about Morgana just suddenly hating Arthur and Gwen. Like, I guess I understand with Merlin because he poisoned her and Morgos probably twisted that to make her hate him. But legit, Arthur was clearly different from his father as he knighted peasants and married Gwen and then in Herald of a New Age, he forgave druids and later knighted Mordred. Although he didn't know about his magic. Honestly, the only reason Arthur was refusing to accept magic was because of Morgana, because she used magic to ensure Uther's death. Does she not realize that if she let magic heal Uther, then Arthur would have would owe magic? If she had been honest, she could have convinced Arthur that magic isn't evil and could have helped him change the law, and I just get angry whenever I think about it. Okay. Can can I just quickly... There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> so, okay. Mogos, this is what I want to say, is that Mogos probably twisted Merlin's actions to make Morgana turn against Merlin. But you forget that she probably also twisted Arthur's actions. Arthur is Uther's son, and therefore Arthur won't be any better to magic users, is probably what Mogos said. And to be honest, the entire logic is flawed. And the fact that we don't see the year between season 2 and 3 is a big problem for the continuity of the plot. It's such lazy writing because if Morgana disappears and it just and then just shows up again, suddenly a different person, they can tell us that, oh, the year with Mogos changed her rather than having to give us an actual explanation what and how Morgana was changed. And I find this almost worse than the three-year time jump between season 4 and 5. 
during which apparently Gwen never got pregnant and no one wonders why, but that's a different conversation. But like, just, yeah, they just plopped down this year between these two seasons and they were like, oh, all right, Morgana's evil now. And we just, that's, it's just such a, such an important part of her character development and it's just off screen. Yeah. Um, also, what you have to remember is that all of these things that you just mentioned about all the good things that Arthur has done, Morgana didn't see any of those things. Not only that, but these were not necessarily things that were favoring magic users, him knighting peasants, him marrying Gwen. They have nothing to do with what Morgana cares about. Also, in season three, Morgana doesn't really show any antagonistic feelings towards Arthur and Gwen until the Crystal Cave. She hates Merlin and she hates Camelot because of Merlin. (laughs) And she doesn't really have anything to say about Arthur. Notice this. Because once she figures out that she's the heir to the throne, she then is going after Arthur with a vengeance because she wants to be queen, because she wants to have the power to change things but also I think she doesn't I don't really think she wants power I think as we've said it's more goes influence but when she figures this out I mean hang on don't forget if I'm right I think when she finds out that she's Uther's daughter and more goes comes to see her it's more goes that reminds her oh you have a legitimate claim to the throne so this is all her influence and it's then and I mean, we don't see these in between scenes, but she's probably whispering in her ear all the time about Arthur and, oh, well, don't forget, he's just like Uther, like you said, Momo. And unfortunately, what you have to remember is that people, when they're hurting, they're not thinking logically. So Morgana's not thinking, well, if only I made up with Arthur, then we could change everything. That's not the case, you know? It's not the case at all. And Also, I don't really subscribe to the belief that Arthur is refusing to lift the bound on magic just because of Morgana. I think that's just one aspect. Arthur's brain is a cesspool of problems, which I'm which, you know, we will get into in other episodes. But, you know, this is not, I think, the main reason when Morgana does the things that she does in season four, she does them because she is in pain and she's not thinking about the consequences as none of us would. So I completely agree with your logical argument that, well, if Arthur had done this, but neither of them are thinking that way and neither of them have the benefit of being the audience member who can see both things happening simultaneously, which they can't, you know. Also, just one thing, I think when Irene said that Arthur forgave the druids i'm pretty sure they meant that arthur sought forgiveness from the druids because that's what he actually does arthur has nothing that he needs to forgive the druids he seeks forgiveness from the druids but yeah what do you say rox season four morgana she is in pain she lost her sister whom she was stockholm syndrome into believing is the only person who loves her and who cares about what happens to her Apparently, that happened between season two and three, and we never saw it. But clearly, Mogos has become the the focus of Morgana's everything. She has become the center of Morgana's world. 
and and then she just dies. She's gone in season four, and her death hasn't even given Morgana the thing that Mogos said it would give Morgana, which is the power over Camelot. And it's just that's where you know Morgana. That's where Morgana is at. She has lost everything. She has gained nothing from it. She is on her own, and as far as she's concerned, because with everything that Mogos has told him, because of everything that she has lived through while she was still living in Camelot, Morgana is of the firm belief that Camelot, under current uh, leadership, is the root of all things that are going wrong in her life. So, yeah, that's that's what she does. And also what you said, Rox, uh, Morgana doesn't know that Arthur sought forgiveness from the Druids for some for a crime he committed when he was like sixteen or however old he's supposed to have been then, you know. And she wasn't there for that. And saving Uther's life was definitely not high up on Morgana's list of priorities. Because... No. <laughs> and she was very much like, yes, let the bastard die. Let me make it happen because I need this. Didn't even scratch her top 30. <laughs> That's my biggest thing is just, I can, I can sort of see why Morgana acts that way in season three, uh, in season four, but I really wanted to see how she came to be the Morgana we see in season three because the like the root of it is definitely there in season two. You can certainly see the beginnings of it. But it's still a pretty big jump from the kind Morgana who made Gwen find food in the kitchens during a famine and to make it go as far as it can so that the least amount of people would have to starve to death. You know, that's that's the Morgana of season one, the one who was kind, the one who cared about the people who had no other defense. And then you have Morgana in season four, who is executing innocent bystanders to force the Knights of Camelot to reveal information to her. And that, that these are very different people and I really would have liked to see how she came, how she got from from the start to there. And that's what we didn't see. Yeah. Like, I can understand Morgana being angry with Uther. I can understand Morgana being angry with Arthur. But I don't understand Morgana going so far as to kill people who have nothing to do with her conflict with Uther and Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get into that once we get into the meat of season three, I think. <laughs> Probably. I mean, season three is the season in which Morgana stands around and smirks. So that's going to be interesting. Uh. <laughs> All right. We have one last one last talkback for this episode. It should be a short one. It's by Elowen, who commented on Remedy to Cure All <laughs> Ills. Seriously, I'm so ready <laughs> to stop talking about this. But uh, Elowen... Um, pointed out because I was like how does Arthur not know where Edwin lives and Elowen said Arthur not knowing where Edwin resides didn't feel all that weird Arthur is the crown prince he doesn't really have to care about lodgings of the royal guests he has staff for that but he shouldn't he'll know where they're where they're staying and <laughs> like... um, all that and first of all and also 
Edwin is supposed to be the physician, Arthur has to know where the fucking doctor is. Like, Edwin is not a guest. Edwin is staff, and Edwin is crucial staff. Edwin isn't just a scullery maid or the cook who can be found in the kitchens when Arthur needs him. No, Edwin is a doctor, and he needs to be... He needs to have access to the doctor when there is an emergency. <laughs> and he needs to know where the fuck he can find him. Oh my god. Uh, okay. <laughs> Alright, I am forever done. <laughs> We're talking about remedy to cure all ills. Please, please people, let me be able to stop talking about this episode. And also, let me be able to stop talking about the Red Stew because I'm ready. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It looks delicious! <laughs> if you want to leave us comments about Remedy to Cure All Ills or relevant things about the Red Stew, this is where you can do it. On our website, which is melissa.paracaproductions.com, you can also just type Melissa into Google and it should come up at the very top. You can find us on Tumblr as melissa.tumblr.com, where you can reblog our posts and leave comments on that. You can put them in the caption, you can put them in the text, you can reply to our posts, you can send us asks or direct messages. You can tweet us on Twitter at Merlisten. You can email us at melissen.podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes as Melissen, where you can rate and comment our episodes. And of course, you can find us on Discord and you can get the invite on our Tumblr or our website. And I'm pretty sure that was all the places. I think so. Yes. All right. Minor characters of season one. Let's let's make a quick list of who they are. Like relevant minor characters of season one, I should say, because I did definitely not count the maid who dies in the first episode. <laughs> Bronwyn, I think her name is, was. The, the blonde one who had a fiancé and then she died because she happened to see something she wasn't supposed to see. But, yeah. Yeah. I didn't count her. But I did count Hooneth, Tom, Will, Anhora, and Lady Helen. Although not Mary Collins, because Mary Collins is a villain and we're going to get into into her in another episode but the reason i count lady helen i mean i doubt we're going to talk about her much this episode but i wanted to name her at least because even though the actual lady helen is barely there in this in this episode before she gets killed and then is you know replaced with with the evil imposter who happens to be also eve miles <laughs> it's still she's still an interesting character because First question, if you've seen more of Merlin than the first season, is what makes a lady? Because Lady Helen is a lady, Morgana is a lady, but so is also Vivian, who is the daughter of a king. Why is Vivian not Princess Vivian, just like Princess Smithian and Princess Elena? Why is Vivian Lady Vivian rather than Princess Vivian? So that's... Do you think that could have literally just been a weird, like, a, a weird oversight? Like, that they just forgot? Maybe. There's no other reason. Yeah, because her father's a king. Yeah. And, I mean, she is she is the uh, Arthur, Arthur's obligatory blonde love interest of season two. 
Oh, actually, hang on, because Lady Katrina was the daughter of a king, wasn't she? I don't know if it... Was she? I think... Where is the Merlin wiki? Let me check. (laughs) There's also the thing about Lady Helen that she's up high enough in the ranks, or at least Uther's regard, and in, like, high enough on the social ladder to be allowed to dine alone with the king and to speak candidly to him. Like, when she makes this comment about Arthur being a poor boy because he didn't grow up with a mother and all of that, Uther doesn't, you know, Uther doesn't explode. He just takes it in stride. He's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, that doesn't seem that out of place for me. Like I said, Lady Katrina also was dining with Uther alone many times, and she's also a lady, so... I don't really see it as that strange. Um, I think if they're... I mean, that depends on whether Lady Katrina really was the daughter of a king, because I don't think she was. She was of the noble house of Tregor, but that doesn't say that she was the daughter of a, of a king. It's just, just, just that it was a noble house. I mean, Leon oh. is from a noble house. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that she was the daughter... Of a king. Yeah, I think Lady Vivian was just a weird typo that they just went with. <laughs> Maybe. But then, you know, I think with Lady Katrina, you have the argument that she was actually bewitching Uther. Yeah, but she was invited to eat with him and his kids. Like, he asked, like, it's not like she bewitched him then. Okay, but she was she was a noble visitor and... It was Uther and Morgana and Arthur dining with them. In the pilot, it's literally just Uther and Lady Helen. But don't forget, and I know this might, you know, it might be me grasping at straws here, but we don't see Uther eating with anyone in season one. In season two, he's always eating with Arthur. Or he's eating with Arthur quite a lot in season two. Yeah, I mean, he's eaten with Morgana a couple of times, but that was after explicit invitation. Yeah, exactly. To eat together. Still, it's, you know, that makes it all the more special if Uther never ate with anyone, except occasionally, maybe with Morgana, when one of them expressed a desire to dine together, and now he's eating with Lady Helen. Yeah, I'm I'm very confused as to her heritage, but that's what I found interesting, just that, you know, she was so close to Uther, what, what gave her this status? What what made her so special that she got to eat alone with the king and talk about, you know, the 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 dead wife of Uther so openly and candidly with Uther? I don't know. It 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 really never bugged me. It doesn't really bug me. It's just I noticed it and I find mm. it interesting. Well, she's of a very very high ranking. She's a guest. They're eating. You know, it's. He doesn't really have, I think, an issue with people who are of his class. It's just he doesn't want to be spoken to by people who are below him, you know, because he's the king. So I think that's probably where it comes from. But, but everyone yeah. is below him. That's the that's all. Oh, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, like you know, noble people are one yeah. step okay. below him. But okay. um, you know, I think that that's probably where it comes from. But I think also when it comes to Lady Helen. 
um, if we're going to keep talking about her. I think that there was, I think even one of the Jays said it, like in the commentary, like, oh, oh, bit of a flirtation there. Yeah, Maybe? yeah. For sure. That's a ship. That's a that's a new ship. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have quite liked that to go somewhere if she hadn't been yeah. killed and impersonated. That, that's the thing. I mean, we we joke a lot about authors blonde love interests being either evil bewitched to like him or have been possessed by supernatural creatures the apple doesn't fall far from the tree yeah uther is not much better there was lady helen who when she was flirting with uther was actually someone else and then we have lady katrina who when she was flirting with uther was actually a troll so, and, that's and then you it. have Morgana, who, when she was being nice to Uther, was actually lying through her teeth. Was actually her. plotting to kill him. Oh, my poor baby. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's, you know, it's not really paranoia if they really are out to get you. <laughs> that's amazing. Um. <laughs> All right, getting... Getting back to these minor characters of the first season, the other ones I mentioned, I think if we talk about Anhora, like second, because he's the one who has the who's the least interest, like he's even less interesting than Lady Helen, honestly. But um, I didn't want to omit him just just out of spite. I mean, spite. I'm surprised he's in here at all, to be quite honest with you. I mean, that's because he's not actually an like a villain of the first season he's just a character of the first season but he still was relevant in that one episode so that's that's why he's here also he's the keeper of the unicorns which is honestly the coolest job on the planet probably it's almost like it's a made-up job just because he's a plot device (laughs) yeah it couldn't possibly be that could it (laughs) we're gonna hear about him in seasons two three four and five right yeah. I mean, I'm expecting him to show up in all the other minor character episodes that we have. <laughs> Surely. No? Anyone? Uh, okay. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's not a character, you know, he's a plot device. Yeah, but again, just with, like, Lady Helen, it didn't feel right to just not mention him because he does show up for a significant amount of time in that one episode that he is in. And, um,. He is not actually a villain, even though he puts Arthur to to the test many times. But if you look at the rest of this list of like substantial characters like Hunith and Tom and Will, like let's let's disregard Lady Helen from now on. But if you look at this, then Anhora is very obviously not a family member or a close friend of any of the of the main four. His only tie to them is he i mean he acts as an antagonist for arthur but he not he is not actually a villain like the audience know that he's not evil gandalf he's just you know doing what's right for the unicorns or whatever i've I've never really thought about this before not even when we did the episode review of um labyrinth of gedriff which still why is it why is the episode called that it makes no sense but I'd go so far as to say that he was also Evan, or whatever the name was. Like, the student who first steals the grain and then um, goes Arthur into into 
fighting him. I mean, obviously it was played by a different by a different actor, but seriously, where the fuck did that dude come from? If he wasn't an illusion created by Anhora, or was Anhora in a different shape? So either way, he's not he's not really a separate character. Evan is a whole host of questions that are unanswered. Another note I made is maybe Evan is the ghost of the dead unicorn. Oh my god. That was just as far as Anhora goes. And then the actual three characters who are actually interesting to talk about or more interesting to talk about are Hunith, Tom, and Will. And what is interesting about them is that they all have a little bit more screen time, even though Will only shows up in one episode. But they are all relevant to one of the main characters, one of the main four characters. Specifically, two of them are relevant to Merlin, and one of them is Gwen's father. So let me let's start with Hunith. Because Hunith is awesome. She is Merlin's mother, in case someone didn't know that yet. Hunith is Merlin's mother. And she was the one who sent him to Camelot. Because I think the context, the like in Moment of Truth, it's revealed that she found out that Will knows about Merlin's magic. And that's why she sent Merlin away, because someone found out. And yeah, she she sent him to Camelot because... It's so much safer for her son to be somewhere where people are murdered for being for having magic than staying in Yaldo where magic is legal <laughs> and only one other person knows. I think that Hunith's reasoning, which I can kind of see, is because I think in her letter to Gaius she says, you know, it's every mother's fate to, you know, think her child is special, but I wish that mine were not, you know. And I think that she's probably thinking, right, shit, Merlin has this ability. He can't control it necessarily. More and more people are going to find out. Will's found out. Maybe some hostile people will find out, start drawing attention to himself. Why not send him somewhere where maybe he can learn how to control these powers? Because I assume she probably knows that Gaius studied magic at some point and Perhaps in her mind, that was the safest place for Merlin, because what's the point of sending him somewhere different where he'll just get found out by someone else because he's not being trained? I mean, think about it. If uh, if she sent him to a different neighboring kingdom, how would that be any different from Yeldor if she was scared about him being found out and attention being drawn or maybe harming someone or hurting someone, you know, with his yeah. magic? So maybe it was that. And, you know, in a more sinister way, maybe subconsciously she's like, well, and I doubt she was thinking this, but from a logical point of view for me, I'm like, well, if I'm going somewhere where I can get killed for being, using magic, maybe I'll try not to use so much magic. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. maybe the, you know, but I think, you know, it makes sense yeah. to me that she would send him to Gaius, you know. I mean, we, we know that she knows Gaius. She knew Gaius before, otherwise she wouldn't have sent Merida. And clearly, she cleared this with Gaius. Like, she must have sent Gaius a letter beforehand because Gaius was expecting Merlin. You know, so this was definitely arranged. 
by her already. And it's just, you know, the irony is just that Gaius doesn't teach Merlin shit. I actually was wondering if this would be a good chance to talk about Hunith and Gaius's relationship. Because I think that uh, it's funny that theirs is kind of the relationship we're first introduced to. But I pro- I have a theory that Gaius only knows Hunith through Balinor. No. Because how else would no, he no, know no. Hunith? No, no. Gaius sends Balinor to Hunith. Doesn't he just send him to Eldor? I'm pretty sure he sends him... Let me let me quickly pull up the script. Yeah, okay, so the dialogue goes... Merlin says, One survived, how did you know? And Gaius says, I helped him escape. Merlin, you've never heard the name Balinor? No. Your mother never mentioned him. My mother? She took him in. So... Okay. That's... Maybe double-check Balinor's dialogue when they're in the cave after Arthur's been put to sleep. Well, Merlin says, you spoke of Ialdo, you took refuge with a woman. Hang on, let me see if I find that place where he actually says that. Balinor says, he killed every one of my kind, I alone escaped. And Merlin asks, where did you go? And then Balinor says, there's a place called Ialdor. I had a life there, a woman, a good woman. Ialdor is beyond Uther's realm, but still he pursued me. Yeah, Why yeah, would he not yeah. let me be? But still, it's this is after Merlin talks to Gaius. Gaius is mm-hmm. the one who was like, um, he took refuge with your mother. And I would assume that from that, that it's Gaius who sent him to Hunith. I don't know. It's weird because I, to me, it's more logical that Gaius and Balinor met in Camelot. Why would Gaius know Hunith if she lives in a different kingdom to his? And then... Perhaps he just helped him escape to Esketir, but he didn't necessarily... But why would... But how would Balinor... Like, Balinor stays with Hunith. I would assume that Balinor doesn't doesn't stay in touch with Gaius because he needs to protect himself. Like, Balinor needs to make sure that he isn't found, that Mm. Uther doesn't pursue him. So he doesn't stay in touch with Gaius. And then after he flees, obviously he doesn't come back to tell Gaius, oh, by the way, (laughs) I knocked up this woman called Hunith. Well, no, he doesn't even know he knocked her up, but like, uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't realize, by the way, Gaius, I met the most amazing girl. Thanks for sending Mm. me there. Yeah, that's true. That's how I think that Gaius already knew Hunith, I think. I mean, that's probably my 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 headcanon um, showing here. But I think the I sort of always assumed that I don't know Hunith Hunith knew Gaius when she was younger for some reason. Like the same thing is why would why would Gaius send Balinor specifically to Ealdor unless he already knew someone there? Mm. You know, that's just like, why in, in season four, why would Gwen go to Ealdor unless she already knows who Nith is there and she can find help there? You know, it's that's that's where I'm coming from. It's like Gaius wouldn't have sent Balinor specifically to Ealdor unless he knew someone in Ealdor. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I wish we had a bit more background. Yeah, it's one of these mysteries that the show never cleared up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that... uh that relationship is very interesting to me 
uh, Huneth and Gaius's relationship. That would have been really nice to see a bit more of, but obviously we just we just didn't have the time. But um, yeah, clearly, yeah, yeah. So Huneth shows up four times in the show. She shows up three times in the first season, in the flashback in the pilot, in uh, all of Moment of Truth, and then as the plague victim in the final episode of the first season where Merlin needs incentive to go and kill Nimue. <laughs> Actually, no, he doesn't kill Nimue until it's Gaius who's nearly dying, but still. And then, again, in at the end of season four, because, like I just said, Gwen goes to Yaldor to, to live there after she's been banished, and after she's again, had to flee from Morgana after Morgana turned her in, turned her into a deer. Sorry, a doe. And it's just, okay. So she goes to Yaldor and that's where Merlin meets her because Merlin also takes Arthur to Yaldor because they'll, they, they're, they will all be safe from Morgana because she's in Senred's kingdom and Senred... You know, Senra just invaded Camelot, so he's not going to look for them in his own kingdom, clearly. Oh my god. Uh, no, actually, Senra is already... Hang on, when does Senra He's die? already dead. He's already dead, so it's not even Senra's kingdom anymore. So yeah, that's fine. So yeah, that's all of four times that Hunuth shows up. And the thing is, she's not even talked about in any way during... Like in season two and three, or until Merlin and Arthur show up in the Elder in season four, she's never mentioned again in season five. Merlin just sort of doesn't have a mother for a couple of years, which, you know, it's now established that he has one and that he cares deeply about her. So just like with his friendship with Gwen, it's not, you know, something that is shown often anymore. And that's fine. But at the same time, I'm just like, why can't she at least be mentioned in a sentence just to give us these little, you know, continuity reminders that, oh yeah, Marlon still has a mom. And yeah, he still cares about her and he sometimes goes to see her. Like, I think it's a double-edged sword because if you do that, then you get the, what I call the Gwyneth Paltrow conundrum, which is, oh, uh, Pepper Potts was mentioned in this scene, but she's actually not showing up because she's too expensive. <laughs> and it's like, then you have the, and then the audience starts questioning, oh, why can't we just have Hunith in this scene? Why was she mentioned if it's not? This is the problem. It's like, you don't mention things that aren't important to the plot. There's no point. Like, yeah, if but, Hunith isn't, you know. Yeah, but the thing is, like, clearly I'm, I'm watching things differently then because for me it's, that it's not that I forget that these characters exist, because clearly I don't. It's that, for me, it reads as this character has suddenly stopped caring about the other character. Like, Merlin has suddenly stopped caring about his mother. I mean, to me, it makes sense in season one that he doesn't talk about her between arriving in Camelot and then when she shows up in Camelot in the 10th episode. Like, that makes sense, because he just arrived there, everything is still new, and so on, and it's not been that long since he has, since he's seen her, you know, but then as, as things go on, and especially with the gap between season two and three, I just don't really see why there can't have been a mention that Merlin 
It could have been something as small as Arthur's rooms being untidy at the start of a scene and Arthur being like, Merlin, why why is everything in shambles? And Merlin is like, well, I just got back from my trip to, to see my mother. It's not my fault if my replacement hasn't tidied up your room in the meantime or if you didn't want a replacement, you know? I mean, when I see them together in season four, I kind of get the impression, like, they see each other quite regularly. Like, he gives her a hug. He's like, how are you? I just think that Hoonith wasn't relevant, you know? Hoonith is a character, but she is also a plot device. Look at the ways that she's used. She's used as a plot device in order to bring Merlin to Yeldor so that he and Arthur can have their magical conundrum. Pendragon! Yeah, no. <laughs> Wait, that's not... I had to bring episode. him up. I just had to. We were talking about Moment of Truth and I haven't mentioned it yet. Survive. <laughs> and then she's brought up again in the Mort Arthur as a plot device. And then she's brought up again in The Sword and the Stone Part 1 as, as a plot, plot device. device. So I think that what you have to remember is that, you know, she's plot device. <laughs> if if she'd been brought up randomly throughout the show, I would have been a bit like, ooh, this has to be important, right? Well, like like the close up of the bracelet. Oh, well, this has to be important, right? Yeah. And yeah, it's not. So unless she's actually present and uh, needed for Merlin's character development, she's not particularly uh needed in terms of being brought up but i can see the frustration because obviously it but 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 we did say didn't we that the focus did kind of not shift but we had a lot more kind of legend stuff happening as we went forward and we didn't get as much time just to kind of chill out with the characters and have these moments and a lot of family members suffered for it Uther as well. <laughs> He's gone by the time we get to season four. So, yeah. you know, it's just like, I think they wanted it to become Arthur and his knights. Yeah. And the big Camelot legend. And Hooneth just didn't fit into that, unfortunately, which is a big shame. Even when, you know, all of these wars are happening and Merlin probably should see her at some point. And I mean, honestly, compared to a lot of the other minor characters... At least Hunith is a recurring minor character. Like, you have... I think the only other recurring minor minor character that I can think of um, off the top of my head are Alator, who's this druid person who is employed by Morgana at the beginning to torture guys, and then he goes over to be actually Merlin's ally after that. And uh, he's one. Then Hunith and Mythian who shows up in more than one episode. And I think that's about it. Other than, you know, then, you know, main characters or like bigger legend characters like the knights, etc. You know, they don't they don't count because they are in the legends. But like out of the made up characters, uh, Hunith is the one who has like the most recurring appearances, I think. Yeah. That's definitely in her favor. And it brings me neatly to Tom who is Gwen's father and I noticed only single parents are allowed on this show Gwyneth <laughs> sure. is a single mother Tom and Uther are single dads <laughs> just like this is apparently a Disney movie it's just if you keep looking it's Vivian's father is there by himself I'm assuming he doesn't have a wife anymore Elena's 
father is by himself. Mythian's father is by himself. None of these people have two parents. It's no wonder everything went wrong. Well, to be fair, I guess it's not unusual for a lot of mothers to have died in childbirth and stuff. So, but yeah, it just fuels my theory that Merlin is a Disney princess. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry for implying that single parents do a bad job at raising children. Obviously, that's not what I meant. I meant single, emotionally stunted men raising children can result in problems. <laughs> Merlin turned out alright. Exactly. That's because he has a mom. I mean, Gwen also turned out alright. That's because Tom is not an emotionally stunted man. He loves his daughter and buys her frilly dresses and pretty buttons because he wants her to have pretty things. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Tom shows up in two whole episodes but he dies in the second one. And he's only in the first season. Gwen is an orphan after season one. I mean, I always take great issue with the word orphan when a, someone is no longer a child. <laughs> yeah, like, are we going to call 80-year-olds orphans because they have no parents? <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? Yes. Everyone in this show is an orphan then, yes. technically. <laughs> Yeah, like I just said, Tom loves his daughter and he wants her to have the best life filled with pretty things. But that's about all we know about him, other than that he's also a blacksmith. Like, the poor man never even knew that he has a second child because the writers didn't know Elian would exist yet. Oh my so, god. <laughs> as far as Tom is concerned, he has a wife. He has a wife who is presumably dead but also maybe just ran off we don't know and he has one daughter whom he loves above all else but like when gwen was arrested for magic yeah like where was tom he was <laughs> he was out of there very quickly he's like oops i gotta go <laughs> There's some horses that need shoeing <laughs> yeah. because he's very happy banging away on his metal things when Arthur comes knocking. And then as soon as Gwen's arrested, he's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> yeah. That's very suspicious. I keep coming back to this. I know I mentioned it in the episode review of um, Mark of Nimue, but like he is miraculously cured when no one else was able to to be cured and then he's just like working away in his forge and Arthur comes to ask him about it. he's like no I feel better than I've ever felt in my entire life and only my daughter Gwen was with me when I was sick I'm just like Tom please please tell me you are not actually that silly as to give Arthur reason to believe that something not quite natural is happening here. And didn't you say, like, Arthur even gives him an opportunity? Yes, I forgot what it was, but... Perhaps you had a different illness. <laughs> no, no! It was the same one! Like, <laughs> Tom, please! I felt oh. close to death. <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously, I love Tom. I do. He's a He's a good dad mostly but just no 
I mean, he's also the one that left the key in the lock, so oh. what can we expect? He's not the only one who was that silly. Other people have left the doors wide open when they've escaped from the dungeons. I'm just like, why? Everyone can see that this door is wide open. Why would you do that? Tom. Oh, God. I do love him, though. Yeah, so the parents on Merlin have a bit of a a bit of a bit hard time. I mean... Mary is- Collins, too, was presumably yeah. a single mother. Like, where was Mr. Collins? He was too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was busy being in Pride and Prejudice. I get it. Ah, hey. there you go. Let's talk about Will because we gotta. I ha- do you know what? I'm more fascinated with Will the longer that we do this podcast. He's not a character I ever thought about a lot ever, but it's just. His jealousy, man. It's just oh, man, like, yeah. putting it away. Is, like, my first note in the script is Merlin's ex. He really reads like a jealous ex. He does. And, I mean, whether you want to see it as ex-boyfriend or ex-best friend, he's an ex of Merlin's either way because Merlin is now living the big city life in Camelot and he has new friends. <laughs> Dysentery. <laughs> Will was Merlin's best friend in Ealdor, and he found out about Merlin's magic, or Merlin told him. Either way, Will knows about Merlin's magic, and then Merlin told Hunith that Will knows, and then Hunith panicked and sent Merlin away. And then in Camelot, Will has been replaced with Arthur and Gwen as Merlin's closest friends. Oh, gosh. Or possibly, depending on how you want to view any of these relationships, also as his romantic interest. So it's no wonder that Will is bitter. Merlin clearly won that breakup. I mean, Will, you know, Will has a chip on his shoulder. You know, his dad was killed in this war. He keeps the chainmail hanging in his house. Oh my god, that is just, why, Will, please? He just needs oh. to feed that pain, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, from what I can, I mean, this is a line that I find particularly interesting in Moment of Truth. Um, when Arthur's like, oh, you know, Will was saying this and that. And Merlin's like, oh, he's always caused trouble. Don't worry. No one pays much attention to him. You know, it makes me think that Will probably took Merlin leaving really badly because he was, the only person that he had, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of, you know, uh, quite sad. And I wonder if, you know, Will maybe had bigger dreams. You know, he he says on his deathbed, you know, this place has been really boring without you. You know, like, it, it was nice to have you back. So I wonder if he himself was kind of feeling that this kind of life wasn't maybe for him. And maybe when Merlin left again, he might have... You know, do you think he might have gone with him? I don't know. Uh, you mean Will going with Merlin to Camelot? Yeah. Because he missed him. You know, he came back to fight by his side. Had he lived, I wonder if he would have got... That would have been a really cool little uh, jealousy B-plot. I would have been there for, (laughs) like, 100%. That makes me wonder why Will didn't go with him in the first place. I mean, clearly nothing is holding him in Yaldor other than... His dad's chainmail. His dad's chainmail and the comfort of home, of like, 
this is where I've always been, you know. But he's ready to leave there. Like, his home clearly doesn't mean enough to him to want to fight for it at first. Like like you said, the only reason he comes back is because of Merlin. He doesn't particularly care about fighting for Yeldor. He cares about what Merlin thinks of him. So, I wonder why he didn't just go with Merlin in the first place. I don't know. Maybe, probably because... Huna's arrangement with Gaius was for only one teenage boy, not two. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe there was also kind of, you know, maybe Will wasn't ready then, you know, and he yeah. just he didn't think he would miss Merlin that much. I can also totally see a conversation that turned into a fight where Merlin is like, oh, my mom is sending me away. And I'm going to Camelot because mom knows someone there. Hey, why don't you come with me? And then... Will being all huffy and annoyed. No, I don't want to go because uh, you're blaming me for having to leave. And why would I ever want to go to to somewhere else? And, you know, just, just Will being super huffy. And then once Merlin has been gone for like a week, he just regrets everything. And even debates maybe going after him. But his ego is, you know... His ego is in the way and he's like, no, I'm too stubborn and I won't go after him because that will make me look like I care. <laughs> All I'm going to say is that Merlin has a type, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because there's a reason that Will and Arthur don't get on. <laughs> and I think they have more in common yeah. than I think. <laughs> I have this other note. Will... Because, you know, his father died in Senred's army and he's like, uh, all kings are the same, they don't care. And he, you know, he fronts that he doesn't like Arthur because Arthur is a prince and so on and so forth. Will is clearly bitter and fierce anti-royal. So I'm thinking he would probably get along with Gwaine, Gwaine really yeah. well. <laughs> and well, imagine the three of them in one room and Merlin's just like, oh no, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> And like no, Will, Will and Gwen would become best friends immediately. No, because w the minute that Gwen finds out how bitchy Will was to Merlin, he would <laughs> turn on him like a hornet. And then there would be this weird three-way like argument with Merlin watching, where basically Arthur and Will are trying to outdo each other on how much they can insult Merlin. Gwen's trying to take them both on, and then everyone by the end of the fight agrees how amazing Merlin is. I mean, they've always all agreed how amazing Merlin is. That is the only common denominator they have, all three of them. They all love Merlin. <laughs> that is... And then, like I said, Will and Gwen have in common that they both don't like Arthur. <laughs> Basically. And Arthur is the only one who's, like, out in the cold because he doesn't have anything in common with either Gwen or Will other than liking Merlin. <laughs> And then it's just there, why can't we just make this a star formation poly thing? <laughs> I don't know how I feel about Will being involved in any of this, to be <laughs> honest with you. I just feel like, I mean, look, I think if we'd have seen more of Will, that this is a, a really interesting uh, trajectory, though, because we only saw the worst parts of Will when we saw yeah. Moment of Truth, which is why when I read Will in fic, the rare times that I do or like 
that Will is such a big part of Merlin's past. And I always feel a bit like, like, I don't like it because of the, like, he always feels, I've always headcanoned him probably very wrongly, but that he maybe was a bit of a possessive, jealous type. Mm. I mean, I can see that. Which I don't know if that's just because of the way he comes across here, but the second he comes across the the alpha, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. who's clearly, you know, got Merlin's attention. I can see that, that he would be, you know, sort of possessive of Merlin and want to keep Merlin to himself. I can definitely see that. What I can also see in Moment of Truth, now that I think about it, is this sort of, is why Merlin actually liked him, apart from, you know, getting into hijinks with him and, and getting each other out of, of, of issues. But I can also see these moments where they actually talk to each other when they're sitting on the log in in the woods where Merlin goes to, to get to get some firewood and then they they have an honest, you know, a proper conversation where they are both like trying to stay calm and trying to actually hear each other out and so on. And I can I can see their friendship, their actual friendship that goes beyond just troublemaking, you know, where you're just like you know, there's there's lads friendship where you just do stuff together because you happen to have a common interest and then there's actual friendship where you really talk about things. And I think that this scene really showed that Martin and Will actually have a friendship where they actually talk about things. And it's just I can I can definitely see that. But yeah, I can also see Will being very possessive of Martin, which I think comes out of a sense of, you know, protectiveness, where he's just like, This is my small fragile child that is being bullied he is mine to protect and i will i will fight you i will fight anyone but also if you take away his attention from me i will cut you i uh, like and 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 we're, what's really strange about that is i can kind of relate <laughs> like <laughs> i am kind of like that in my friendships where it's like i love have like i love my friends like or be like I love having like a friendship group and I love having friends and you know when other people are introduced sometimes I become very very hornity I'm like <laughs> ooh yeah this ain't your turf <laughs> I can move. so I can kind of relate to that in a in a in a weird way and that I mean but that's you know we Slytherins are like that so that's not really anything to be surprised about but I think what's the difference here is I wonder if it's more that he's I think there's look at the end of the day I think the first thing that turns Will off about Arthur is the fact that he's like now Merlin like he can tell that kind of arrogance that he knows he doesn't like about royal people it triggers that trauma in him of what happened to his father which is completely valid but I think that there is also some kind of dick measuring contest going on once that passes you know because you know Will is laying out the facts you know where he's like well this is what happened to my father and you know I can see the way that he treats you and blah 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 and oh well you clearly have told him about your magic then and all Merlin is like well yeah but he's amazing yeah but he's amazing and like that must really get on Will's nerves yeah. <laughs> because yeah that can't be nice 
I wish we'd had more of Merlin and Will, actually. Yeah. I never thought she would say that because I've never cared about them. But I think... I think that dynamic is really interesting. And it makes me really wish for Will going to Camelot with Merlin or coming to Camelot later before before Moment of Truth, like somewhere in between the pilot and Moment of Truth, somewhere in between Will showing up in Camelot to, I don't know, see Merlin and be like, hey, remember how you asked whether I would come with you or not? Here I am. And then... Ooh! What if Will had been the one to come from Mieldor to get Merlin? Hmm. Like that he saw Hooneth getting attacked and then we would have felt more for him. Yeah. All right. So if we'd have seen him at the beginning, maybe standing up for Hooneth and then her getting like slapped and then uh, she like, you know, sees what's going on. But then maybe Will's like, I know what to do. And then we see him kind of as the hero figure like in the beginning and then when Arthur kind of starts you know causing problems we're actually maybe still a bit more on Will's side because we've seen that he's good do you know what I mean yeah I know what you mean I mean it doesn't make sense for everyone in that village to let you know a close to middle-aged woman you know make her way across a kingdom all by herself I don't think where Hunet is concerned, there is no question of letting. There is of get out of my way or I will cut you. <laughs> I mean, still, I think. I'm sure Hunet didn't ask anyone for permission or even asked anyone whether or not she should do this. I think she just thought, hey, you know what? I have a son who lives in Camelot. Maybe... Uh, maybe he can help. And I mean, it was it was Merlin's, like Hunit didn't come to Camelot with the intention to ask Uther necessarily for help, right? It's she just came to ask Merlin for help, and Merlin made the decision like, no, you know what, I'm gonna take this to Arthur. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But again, I feel like I don't. Maybe, oh my god, but wouldn't it have been amazing then even more if Will had come or or come with Hooneth and then, uh, you know, he sees that she goes and pleads to the king for help and actually he just rejects her. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been just another that layer been, that would have to his been, character? Yeah, I would have, I would have very much liked that, but clearly Joe Dempsey was too too expensive for more. I mean, it's just not the story they wanted to tell, which is completely fine. But, you know, even like, you know, you you wouldn't have to change much about the beginning. But you could, for example, even when Merlin and Arthur are having that moment up on the up on the battlements and stuff, when when he then goes and maybe Will kind of interrupts him. He's like, Merlin, like, we have to go. Yeah. He kind of gives Arthur like a girl. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we <laughs> could have had it all. There you go. And then when Arthur shows up, he's not happy at all but i yeah now i wish that had happened and that will had lived and he could have gone back to camelot and we could have had some really interesting dynamics there one thing i noticed is that the white rude whiny boy gets to die heroically sacrificing himself for arthur and then also you know keeping Merlin's secret while the black single dad was accused of a crime he didn't knowingly commit or consent to and he is then executed when he tries to escape, 
which Morgana, a white lady of high social standing, instigated. I am uh. just... Look at this. Look at this entire situation. I mean, to be fair, it's not really fair to compare the two situations entirely, <laughs> but I can see what you mean. It's just yeah, like, it's, oh. I mean, obviously, there are very different situations in which these two died, but it's interesting to observe. I wonder what Hoonis and Will's relationship is like. Ah, oh, thank you. I wanted to, to mention that, and I, then I forgot, because... I wish, I don't think that it is what actually happened in canon. I don't think they are actually very close in canon. But what I would have loved to see and what I think has been done in a couple of fanfics, even though I can't name a single one right now, is that sort of they, like, Hooneth adopted Will as a son and Will sort of adopted Hooneth as his mom because... Huna just sent her own son away, and Will didn't have any parents anymore. Like, Will only had one father before his father was killed in the army. What is it uh, with the single parents in this show? <laughs> I'm just... It's the more I think about it, the worse it gets. <laughs> it's just terrible. It's just absolutely terrible. Well, I think we've answered why Arthur and Gwen never had any kids, because we can't have two parents. <laughs> but then it would have made sense for Gwen to have been pregnant at the end. Yeah, because she's finally single. Yeah, yeah, she could have gotten pregnant this last night on the battlefield. And now that Arthur is dead, she can actually have this child, because now she's a single parent. Damn. <laughs> But yeah, that would have been nice to see actually Hooneth and Will sort of making this patchwork family out of the two of them work. But I don't think that's what actually happened in canon. I don't think they are close at all in canon because I think like since Hooneth sent Merlin away because Will found out, I think Hooneth might be a little bit wary of Will. I don't think she likes Will very much. Yeah, I, she's probably like, no, this boy means trouble. You're going to, like, he rides a motorcycle. This is what... Right. The, yeah, if this were if this were modern, she'd be like, this boy rides motorcycles, he smokes, he's in a band, you don't get to play with him. But then this new high-born boy that you bring home is delightful, and let's make him some food. And it's just, like, so funny, actually. That is amazing. And that's even more reason for Will to dislike Arthur, because Arthur gets Hunis instant approval, whereas he did not. I feel so bad for Will now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny though to consider Will as being like, oh, he's bad news, when like he's like one step up of Twink from Merlin. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just slightly more masculine. <laughs> and it's probably only the accent. <laughs> like, nothing else. Now I'm back to Will and Gwen friendship, uh, getting drunk together, talking about how awesome Martin is and how much they hate Arthur because everyone loves Arthur. Everyone thinks Arthur is so amazing. <laughs> Meanwhile, 
they are just considered to be troublemakers and not good enough for murder. And then they, oh God, it's, now I'm making it sad because then they start believing that they are actually not good enough for Merlin and they, they start getting really sad because, okay, probably everyone is right and we, sh- you know, we should probably just keep our distance from Merlin because... And then they date each other and it yes. will end happily ever after. Clearly, they, they start dating each other. And then Lancelot joins the club. He's like, well, I'm also pining after someone. Can I join it? But yeah, Will kind of falls into that category, but he's not as soft as Gwen, which is very bizarre because Gwen doesn't look like he should be soft. But he is. Gwen is so soft, though. He is. And Will looks like he should be soft, but he isn't. How does that work? I wonder, like, if maybe Will and Gwen ever met, Gwen could soften some of Will's rougher edges in terms of his malice. And he'd be like, hey, maybe that one is worth dying for. (laughs) That's his mantra. And he'd be like, dude, listen. It's all right. Let's go get some mead, some pickled <laughs> eggs. You could be one of my friends down at the top. And then Merlin walks in on them, like, chatting and drinking. And he's like, oh, no, there's two of them. <laughs> yeah, basically. When did this become a Will Gwen shipping fest? <laughs> About two minutes ago. <laughs> if you write that fic, I'll actually probably read it. Because <laughs> that is now of big interest to me. Oh, Will, I wish you'd have gotten more screen time. Damn it. This is, okay, but while we're on minor characters, this is, I think, a theme that Merlin has quite a lot. I know you mentioned that, like, you know, Hunith is recurring, Mythian is recurring, but on the whole, Merlin introduces really cool characters and then just drops them. Yeah. Like, kills them. Like, rather than actually using them, and I get that actors are expensive, but people don't just die right after you meet them. That doesn't, that's not what happens in real life. Look at King Olaf and Vivian. Look at what was his name, and Elena. And Bayard. They were all in one episode. They were all supposed to be allied kings to Camelot, and yet they just never show up again. And I'm just like, the only one who does show up again is Mythian and her dad. And it's, I mean, that's that's season four, so I guess, you know, season four and five, so I guess that works. But it's just, I don't, uh, please Merlin, BBC's Merlin, not Merlin the character, Merlin the show, why? Why do we never get to see any of these characters again? I mean, I wish I could tell you, (laughs) but we don't have any answers. No, only the ones we give ourselves, and they're not very favorable. Alright, so now that we've already sort of uh, started talking about, you know, Will, our newfound love for Gwen Will. <laughs> Gwill. Gwill. That shall, that shall be their, their ship name. It's Gwill. <laughs> Which already pushes us into fanworks territory. Let's talk a little bit more about how these characters are uh, represented in fanworks. Which for Anhora is very quick because he literally never shows up anywhere. <laughs> I've read and listened to a lot of Merlin fic, and I cannot, for the life of me, remember a single one in which he shows up. I don't see why that's unexpected, but yeah. He might show up somewhere in a in a as a side character. Like I can't imagine him showing him showing up somewhere in or in some capacity in, for example, Student Prince or a Modern Manservant. But 
I don't remember. Like, if he was in any of them, it wasn't in any way impactful. So, um, let's just, let's just ignore, um, Anhora for, for this segment, because clearly no one cares. And almost as bad, which is sad, but here we go. Tom is, he's sometimes mentioned in stories. I know that he, like, the only story I can actually think of where he shows up is, I think, Gwen talks about him in student prints because she's like, yeah, my family are jewel make, uh, jewelry makers or something. Like, they have a family history, something like that. Oh, yeah. That's why Sophia takes to Gwen because she's like, you know, someone who crafts or something, I believe. Like, works with jewels, etc. So, goldsmiths, basically. So, that's, I think that's one time that he mentioned is mentioned. And then... I know that he shows up as an actual speaking character in Defenders of the Realm, in which he... I don't know what his day job is. It might actually be that he's a blacksmith, but he also has a hobby of, like, like making armor and swords and then reenacting medieval sword fights and battles, and he gets Arthur into it, I think. So that's something that happens in Defenders of the Realm that I remember Tom doing and that was that that fic was written right after season one and the author only had a small cast to work with plus the overarching plot of that story was how Mordred who didn't exist on the show yet as an adult was a racist who wanted to cleanse all of Britain from non-white Britons so that's one of the reasons why Tom, as a character of color, was featured more prominently, just to, you know, get us used to this character and then show how big of an impact it has when suddenly he falls ill and is close to dying just because of the color of his skin. So um, he does survive, though, if I remember correctly. So all is, all is well in Camelot and Britain. Well, not really, but in this story. <laughs> in this story, it was at the end. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me much, though, because I think when a character dies in season one and it has such little screen time anyway, then I think it's easier to just go down the Gwen has no parents route than to try and create a backstory for someone that we knew so little about anyway. But I feel like, for example... I mean, it's different for the villains, I feel like, and that's even weirder because we have such an abundance of villains, but you see Sophia showing up in many stories as a sort of antagonist or just someone who tries to steal Arthur away from Merlin or someone. You see Valiant used many times in stories to the point where if, I mean, honestly, when I read a story... I'm talking modern AU now because obviously when it's a canon fic then obviously they are the villains because they are the villains in canon. But if it's a modern AU or any other kind of AU that is not set in canon and Edwin shows up, Sophia shows up, Valiant shows up, you know, any of these, especially season one villains but also later villains, they show up, I immediately know, alright, this is a villain. Like there's no surprise there anymore because all of them get used so often that even when I got back into Merlin Fig many years ago, before I had even rewatched the show, because when I got into Merlin Fig, I hadn't watched the show in a long time. I had forgotten a lot of the characters and a lot of the things. So when I started reading Fix and listening to Fix, I didn't remember that Valiant was a canonically 
bad character. So when he betrayed Arthur in Student Prince, that was a surprise for me because I didn't remember that. And the same <laughs> thing with, with the same things that happened with Sophia and Vivian. When these things happened in the story, I was surprised because I didn't remember any of these plot points from the show because it's been so long since I watched the show. But the more stories I read, the more obvious it was that, oh yeah, these are canonically evil characters. That's why they always get cast as the villain. And it's just, it's different with like minor characters because the minor characters don't show up that often because a lot of these stories are just about how the the main pairing and maybe one or two of the closer side characters like Gwen and Morgana or Gwen or, uh, you know, deal with whatever happens while they get together. So obviously other minor characters aren't used as much, which, like I said, it makes sense. But on the other hand, I kind of sometimes wish they were used more just for, you know, for variety's sake. Oh, for sure. Um, I think also it probably helps that, I don't know, I haven't read a lot of like teen fic, like where they're younger, like the only one I can think of is Pairing Pendragon, but they don't, like Merlin's, like Merlin and Arthur are the main characters that have like POV. Yeah, yeah, so they only have POV, so Gwen might have a dad, but I don't think we hear about him. Lancelot, we don't hear about Lancelot's dad, but most of these fics, they're already grown up. So I guess not having a parent isn't as big of a deal, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's probably also because of what fics we read. I'm sure that people who read more fics that are Gwen-centric or feature yeah. Gwen in a, as a main character might be a lot different, obviously, because you and I have been exposed to mostly Murtherific. Yeah. Obviously yeah, exactly. Tom would show up less in those because he's not actually relevant to either Merlin or Arthur necessarily. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, let's talk about someone who is relevant to Merlin, which is Hooneth, because a lot of the times, especially in Canon Fix, she is the one who knows TM. She knows She knows. She like, that's that's the one characteristic that I think a lot of fans agree on. She knows TM. And Gaius. Like, the two of them could create a website called Knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the discount Google. Yeah. Like, they just always know. And Hunith, yeah, she's, she's pretty switched on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I agree. I agree. And, yeah. It's... To be fair, thinking about it, Hooneth also doesn't show up that often in stories about Merlin and Merlin and Arthur. Although she does... Like, I can think of a couple of stories in which she shows up, for sure. So it's not like she's never mentioned. So it would make sense to me that if if I were reading more Gwen-centric fic, that Tom would show up in a good percentage of them. But since I don't, well, but yeah, Hunath, Hunath shows up. She's usually, I think she's, I mean, she's almost always a background character. Sometimes she's the POV character who just sort of knows and observes her son and her idiot, uh, her idiot son-in-law trying to, you know, get together. So, um, yeah, my biggest kind of, um, like, 
when I think of a Hoonith TM, like, again, I always think of the one that we have in Pairing Pendragon. She's the kind of, she calls him darling boy. And yeah. she's like firm, but soft at the same time, you know? And that's kind of how I feel she is when she shows up in fic. She reminds me a lot of Gwen, actually. <laughs> she feels like an older version of Gwen. She's what I thought Gwen was going to turn out to be yeah. in the show, and she wasn't. <laughs> One of the trends I really like in these stories is that she does with Arthur what I wanted her to do in canon with Will, which is mother him. She just... She she becomes Arthur's substitute mum in a lot of them, where she yeah. just like dotes on him and you know treats him basically like her son. And I like I like those stories because God knows this boy needs some some emotional support parent in his life because yeah. as much as I adore Uther, but Uther ain't it. So yeah, Huneth. I think we've finished with Huneth. I think so. Good, because that means we can come back to Will. Will. Our new favorite character. I like Will so much more than I used to, even though I just wish we'd seen, oh, I just wish we'd seen more of nice Will. Like the Will that Merlin, you know, grew to love. After Will died, maybe he didn't, you know, let's, let's imagine he didn't die and then let's imagine he didn't come back to fight. With Merlin, let's imagine he went away, and that's how he ended up on Game of Thrones. That's that's how he ended up being a character in Game of Thrones because that just works out, honestly. Uh, but yeah, one thing that I've observed in stories, and I'm talking not canon fix, is Will dies a lot. He and I, I mean, obviously because he dies in canon. People let him die in fanfics, but I don't know. I don't think Tom dies in 90% of the fics that he's actually in. It's just Will who dies a lot. (laughs) Or a disproportionate amount. Like, to the point where there used to be a fest in this fandom that was called Kill Will which was aimed to collect stories or specifically write stories that killed Will. <laughs> Hilarious. The fest doesn't exist anymore. Like, it's gone from Life Journal, but I know it existed. I definitely know it existed. And um, I, I remember that it got some backlash because people felt like that was uh, that was kind of crude to make a fest about specifically killing a character, but I always viewed it as sort of this cracky... Like, that was just to point out how how tropey it had become that Will always dies in these stories. Like, always. It's so funny. <laughs> when you told me about that fest, I was dying. It's I just, couldn't believe it. If you look at all the non-canon AU Merlin fics that you've ever read... And check how many times Will survives, if he's mentioned at all. I'm confident that it's not a whole lot. <laughs> I haven't made an actual statistic because I'm too lazy for it, for this thing. But I'm pretty sure that the number of fakes in which he dies is much higher than the ones in which he survives. I was talking about this 
with Sarah just yesterday, I was like, do you remember any, do you know of any stories in which Will or Hunith play a significant part? And then she was like, no, the thing is, Will often dies. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, Will usually dies, so Merlin can be sad about it, and then Arthur can come in and make Merlin not sad about it. Like... I have literally written this exact story. I have written 70k of Merlin being sad <laughs> that Will died and Arthur trying to get Merlin out of that sadness. <laughs> I am this person. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds so creepy when you say, like, here, let me make you not sad about <laughs> the death of your friend. Uh, want some coffee? <laughs> that is not what happens in this fig, but <laughs> this is the overall trend. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, I can. There is there is another fig that I I always forget what it's called, but it's set in the U.S. where Merlin and Will move to for I don't know what reasons, and they settled down there and got got work and and you know had a life and i don't know if they were married but they were definitely together for a long time and before the story starts at some point will dies i think he might have been shot because he often gets shot and um then the entire point of the story is after be aggressively befriending merlin and basically helping him get over will and yeah, so anyway, that's that's one thing. Yeah, Will dies a lot. He gets shot, and then in a surprising amount of stories, especially when they're uh, like set in Britain, I find it surprising how many times he gets shot. Given how that's stupid. That is stupid. That's that's not really a thing that happens. Like you don't really have shootings like that. No. <laughs> to be fair, most of the time when he dies in Britain. He gets run over by a lorry. So, <laughs> like, there was there was a time when I noticed every fic I read in which Will dies, he died in an accident with a lorry. And I'm just like, seriously? Oh, <laughs> he couldn't. God. I mean, in my story, he died in a car accident, but at least it wasn't a lorry. <laughs> was, the, was the lorry called Canaan? That was the name of the company that was driving the no, lorry. No, but my god, it should have been. <laughs> I should just be everyone's beta, really, just to inject <laughs> a bit of crack now and then. Oh god. No, I think in my, in my story, it might have been a drunk driver losing control over his car and then hitting Will. Like, Will was pushing Merlin out of the way so Merlin wouldn't die. And then. Oh, that's, that hurts. And then Will gets killed instead. And yeah, in my story, they were married really happily. So that's that's what I did. I killed Merlin's husband. Damn. Yeah. But let's talk about stories in which Will survives. Survives. <laughs> or in which <laughs> or the stories in which Will is alive at the beginning of the story, but he dies at some point during the story. <laughs> Because you can't have Will survive anything, apparently. Yeah, but it's just, when he is in these stories, 
when he doesn't die or before he dies. I feel like he's often characterized pretty well. He's usually sort of grumpy. He doesn't like Arthur for one reason or another. And he's Merlin's best friend or his ex or both. Sometimes he is both. So... Because that is possible, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, it's what happened in canon. (laughs) So yeah, that's 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 Will in in fix. Sometimes he gets paired with Freya, and because Merlin's rejected love interests. Both both of Merlin's exes, yeah. Both of Merlin's dead exes. Oh God, like we that should be a new. Cards against Merlin, cards we have all of Merlin's exes, and then we add another one, all of Merlin's dead exes, which include Will, Lancelot, Freya, Gwen. Which is also all of Merlin's exes! It's all of Merlin's exes! <laughs> That's the, the Venn diagram of all of Merlin's exes and all of Merlin's dead it's exes. It's just a circle! Unless you count Gwen, in which case there's just one little part that's that sticks out. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh <laughs> and I guess god. I guess an author isn't included depending on how you see it because Arthur wasn't his ex when he died. <laughs> well Freya wasn't his ex when she died, but became his ex seeing as, you know, she's, she's dead now. alive. <laughs> so She failed to stay alive. Oh my god. <laughs> Freya, you have failed this walk. <laughs> The arrow just shows up out of nowhere. This was a crossover no one asked for, but you're getting it. <laughs> <sighs> I can't even like say it properly because she doesn't have a last name. So I can't be like, Freya, you have failed this city. Oh, how did we get here? I don't know. Okay, Will. Will survives and is one of Merlin's dead exes. <laughs> And is... how does he survive and be one of his dead exes at the oh, same shit. time? <laughs> Merlin's into some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Will, Will and Fake. Is there anything else we can even say about Will and Fake? No. I don't really think there is. No. So how about I hit us with some stats? Hit me. All right. I took these stats on the 13th of March in 2019, for anyone who wants to be absolutely correct. So, Hunith. Hunith's AO3 tag is Hunith, and then Merlin in parenthesis, to make sure that she is the Hunith from this show. There are actually uh, a little more than 1,500 works tagged with her character tag, but only just under 500 if you exclude Aldi Merthyr. Which is still a lot of stories, if you ask me. 500 stories that have Hunith tagged as a character that are not shippy Mirtha stories. And she has a couple of relationship tags associated with her. Here is a selection. Of course, there is Hunith and Balinor. There are almost 200 works with, with them as a ship. And still almost 100 if you exclude the Mirtha. There is Hunith slash Uther, which I personally like, uh, that this ship exists. And there are a whole lot of 14 works tagged with this ship. There is also Hunith slash Will, and there are three works with that. And 
one of my another one of my favorite crack ships. Well, sort of crack ship. I kind of like the idea of of these. Gwen slash Hooneth has two works, and then Hooneth and Lancelot and Hooneth and Leon as ships each have one work too. And I sort of I like this thing. I think I had a, a headcanon for a modern AU kind of thing with my with my best friend where we were talking about how funny it would be if Gwen like if there was a big party at a pub or something for Merlin's birthday and Gwen saw Hooneth without knowing that she's Merlin's mom and he's like uh, asking Merlin if if he thinks that this really hot woman would maybe be interested in him or what you should say and Merlin's like dude that's my mother and then Gwen would not be perturbed he would just go and chat her up anyway <laughs> or oh there is also this thing in 8 by 12 by 8 where Lancelot is gently courting Hooneth which I really like that I really, really like. So, yeah. Hooneth and Lancelot, or Hooneth and Gwen. Like, basically, Hooneth and any of the younger... Any of the younger men. Because I'm just like, Hooneth deserves this. Hooneth absolutely deserves a good-looking, hunky knight to... to As her, you know, arm candy, boy toy thing. I'm totally in favor <laughs> of that. What do you think is... One of the more disturbing Hooneth pairings. I haven't actually looked, so what is it? <laughs> Hooneth Merlin? No. I I mean, I'm sure there is, but I didn't check for that. Hooneth yeah. Kilgara? Yes! That's crazy. Three whole works! Three! That's, How is that possible? That's one more than Gwen Hooneth. <laughs> <laughs> Hooneth Kilgara is a thing. Oh, God. <clears throat> yeah. Alright, moving on to the other single parent <laughs> out of the many single parents in this show. Tom has 73 works associated with his character tag and 30 of these are Arwen fix. I checked. Tom only has two romantic relationship tags, the poor man. One is Tom slash original female character which I assume might be Gwen's mother or whoever Tom might date after Gwen's mother. And that has three works. And the other one is Hooneth slash Tom. And that has also three works. And alright, let's do Anhora and Lady Helen. Because I want to keep Will for the for the end. Because he's our new favorite now. Yes. So Anhora is actually tagged in 38 works. I did not check how many of these are canon works, which I probably should have done, because that would have been interesting. And there is actually a relationship tag for Anhora. It's Anhora slash Arthur. I mean, are we really more shocked at that than Hooneth Kilgara? No! At least they're both human. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know that Anhora is absolutely human? He could be a unicorn. Yeah, fair enough. So, and then there is Lady Helen of Mora. I always forget that she actually has sort of a last name. It's of Mora. And there are 25 works tagged with her character. And the only relationship tag in use for her is Helen Sla- uh, yeah, Helen Slashuther. Which does not surprise me. 
but those actually make me happy. There is also one that is Helen slash Gwen, but the work doesn't exist anymore, which I find is sad. Who who wrote a Lady Helen of Mora slash Gwen work and then deleted it? Why? Why? I don't know. Final one, our new fave. Will! Will of nothing. We don't know his last name. No. I th- I'm trying to remember what people have come up with for for last names in modern AUs. I can't remember any of them. So Will has 843 works associated with his character tag and 178 of these are left over if you take out all the Murther fix. But at least he has several relationship tags, which of course the one with the most works is Merlin slash Will, which has 121, and at least 31 of these are without any Murther in them. So there are actually Will slash Merlin stories, or at least Will and Merlin stay together in these fics, or are endgame, or not a stepping stone before before the Murther. So there you go. There's also Freya Will, like I said, because all of Merlin's dead eggs is getting together. And that has 45 works. And another one I kind of like is Morgana slash Will, which has five works only. But hey, at least there are some. I think that Morgana Will one is more of stemming from the Katie and Joe Dempsey thing. Probably. Probably. Doesn't, isn't there like in, uh, I'm trying to remember what story that was where Will talks about how magnificent Morgana's breasts are. It might be the sex shop around the corner. Anyway, there is a story in which Will talks about how magnificent uh, Morgana's breasts are. So, um, there you go. It, there are Will Morgana stories out there. There are other relationship tags for Will, but not, like, most of them have almost none or no works attached to them. Although, I really want to check now how many works do exist for Gwen Will, so bear with me while I quickly check that. Three whole works! One of them is even rated explicit. Listen, I am definitely going to check that out. It's called Reynardine by... Free bird. Will meets a mysterious stranger who offers him shelter for the night. Ooh. Inspired by the beautiful Fairport Convention song Reynardine and based on this legend from the southwest of England. Ooh. Yeah. Mysterious stranger. There's another one rated mature, which is also pretty good, called Right Here, Right Now by Wreck. The summary... The last thing Gwen expected when he went down to the bar to lament New Zealand's victory over Ireland was to find comfort in his neighbor. Ooh! While they've always more or less snarked at each other, they bond over their dislike of the wealthy and their protectiveness of Merlin. Oh my god! (laughs) Gwen can't get an exact read on Will, but he's determined to see how far he can take it. And maybe he can finally get just one other person to watch rugby with him. This has almost 7k. I need to read this, like, tonight. I'm definitely going to read that. 
I'm just intrigued. It's a bar late at night and it's a storm and it's a barn and it's everything that I love. So I need to read both of these fics. So three stories for Gwen slash Will and I mean, the other one also sounded quite cute. It's like a video game movie night getting together sort of thing, but it's only rated G. So I know Rox is not particularly interested, but yeah, these are all, these all sound great. I'm going to read all of them, which neatly transfers us to Rex. So I have one for Will and I do apologize that these uh, Rex that I have, these fake Rex, they they are not main characters in these stories because I did not have time to read stories about them and I didn't think that I'd love Gwen Will as much as I do now that we've talked about them for two hours. <laughs> so these these stories that I'm going to read will have to wait, otherwise I would have wrecked those. But the one I'm going to wreck is called Not in This Land Alone. Written by Tora Kowalski. It was part fixed by Crinkly Solution. It's 36,500 words long. It's rated teen and up. It's a modern AU. And this is the summary. When Merlin Emrys gets a summer job at Buckingham Palace, he doesn't expect to even meet King Arthur, let alone become involved in protecting him from a plot to overthrow the monarchy. So in this story, Merlin is Will's boyfriend at the start of it. And Will is very anti-monarchy in this story. So I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but Will does play a somewhat important role in it. So, yeah, that is that is one, my, my wreck for Will. And I have two, three actually, I have three for Hooneth. The first one is a fic called Visiting Hooneth by... Uh, I'm assuming it's pronounced Rooney Hime. And it was potfic by CB. It's teen and up, 9,000 words long. And the summary is just five times Ealdor had visitors. And it's a story of, you know, Merlin and Arthur visiting Hunith over the years and what she observes of their relationship. It's from her point of view. And the second Hunith fic I want to recommend is Seven Magpies by Silic. It was potfic by Lunchy. It's rated explicit and it's 33,500 words long. The summary is, Arthur wakes up somewhere he doesn't recognize, but where he clearly belongs. And in this story, Arthur travels to an alternate universe in which Hunith is queen of Camelot and Merlin is the crown prince. And everything is quite different from the Camelot that Arthur is used to. And I listened to this only this week just to, you know, familiarize myself with it again and just to see if it actually qualifies as a Hunith fic and it is written from Arthur's point of view and it does focus more on how he perceives all these differences between his two Camelots and the his relationship with Merlin and his own Camelot and also this Camelot and so on but Hunith is still a very like a presence in the background a lot because she is the queen of this Camelot and all these differences in the Camelot that she is queen of are because she is the queen of Camelot rather than Uther being the king of Camelot. So this is 
yeah, this was really great to listen to again. I didn't remember it being that good when I first listened to it, but yeah, it's it really is a good story. And my final Huneth wreck, and also my final wreck, is a fan art by De Herkonine, which does the thing that I always want um, fan works to do when there's Huneth and author in them, because it is a fan art of uh, author giving Huneth bouquet of wildflowers and Huneth kissing his forehead in a in a gentle motherly gesture and it's just yes yes I want Aww. this <laughs> so these are my recommendations um, I've only got two uh, they're both bidding recommendations uh, one of them is a Merlin Will vid and it's called Anthem of the Angels, and it's by a vidder called Violent Dark Night. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, this is kind of like a rock song, and uh, it's really good. I actually, I actually watched it this morning, and I really enjoyed it. It's quite an old one, I think, but a lot of these old ones sometimes can be a bit disappointing because either the quality or uh, the style of vidding, but I actually really enjoyed this one, so you should check it out. Obviously, there's not that much material for these two, but they, I think they did a really good job. And then the second one, it's sort of a self-wreck, but not really a self-wreck because I hosted a collab on my channel, uh, which was purely for parental relationships. And we, uh, I got a bunch of people involved in this. A lot of people signed up and we did Merlin Balanor, Merlin Huneth, Merlin Gaius, Uther Arthur, Uther Morgana, Tom and Gwen, Arthur and Igraine, Morgana and Gaius. I think those were the all the relationships that we covered. And I actually vidded Uther Morgana, so this is not technically a wreck for me. But we <laughs> did have but uh one of my friends uh vidded the part for so she actually combined Arthur, Igraine and Gwen and Tom into one thing because there wasn't that much to work with um so you have some gwen tom representation in that video and you also have merlin hunith representation in that video which my friend cynthia took that part so that will also be linked it is to you'll be in my heart by phil collins so that was uh that was an idea i came up with years ago and it was uh yeah, I think it was mostly just because I really wanted to like vid Uther Morgana to this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I kind of want to get other people involved in this. And yeah, it was really great and actually kind of got me like open my eyes to how many parental relationships we have. Like, yeah, I just listed eight. And that was uh, we only hosted this collab when season three was airing. So there probably would be a lot more. Um, you could probably actually even include Gaius and Gwen in that if you wanted to i actually i didn't really think of that but when season four aired we had some nice kind of um parental style scenes with them i think when she was kind of injured and stuff so that would have been really sweet or even arthur and gaius um but yeah so those are my two wrecks not a lot in the vidding world out there for hunith and will and anhora i did check (laughs) i did check for anhora surprisingly enough not a lot of meta really um, (laughs) to go into there and with that I think that both the podcast and my voice have come to an end 
Our theme music was composed by Sidestepping exclusively for Melissin. The news jingle sound was composed by Manzardian and can be found on freesound.org. And the manip on our cover is by Brolin's Keep and the actual cover is by me. Speaking of me, I'm Momotastic on AO3 where you can find my fix. And Momopods also on AO3 where you can find my pot fix. And I'm Miss Snowfox on Tumblr and also Miss Snowfox Cosplays on Instagram. Amazing. Next time we are going to talk about Angel Colby because she is our next Meet the Actress candidate. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to checking out a little more of Angel's work just to get an impression of her and then we'll we'll talk about her. It's going to be great. Indeed. Yes. Until then, I'm Momotastic. And I'm Miss Snowfox. Bye. Bye.